Psalm 32 of David, a masculine. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the ways of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Every now and then you see these stories on the news about uh, someone who's been tormented by guilt. Normally they're the, the little fluff piece story at the end of the news broadcast. You know, the story goes something like this, that there's uh, a guy who won a spelling award when he was in year four at school, but 71 years later at the age of 80, he's returning the award to the school because he cheated during the exam. And he's felt that guilt his whole life And finally, it became too much, so he just felt that he needed to return the award with a covering letter explaining that he had cheated in that exam. But sometimes the guilt gets a little bit more serious than that. I came across a story on the internet, this particular story here. A 91-year-old man in Canada went to his local police station to confess to a murder. He'd murdered a lady in London in 1946, 69 years after the event, the guilt finally forced him to come clean and he went to the police station to confess his guilt. Guilt's a very powerful thing and it can impact people's lives in a pretty remarkable way. Our psalm this morning is about guilt But more than that, it's a psalm about forgiveness, a psalm about how great it is to be freed from guilt. This is another one of David's psalms, and it's what they call a penitential psalm. And there are seven of them in the book of Psalms, in the 150 psalms that we have, and five of them were written by King David. So the the psalm opens with these words. The words of a person who's had a weight lifted off their shoulders. Verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Did you notice 
David isn't boasting about anything that he's done. His only contribution to all of this was that he'd done the wrong thing and needed to be forgiven. And he knows that he's done the wrong thing. In fact, he uses three different words there to describe his wrongdoing. In verse 1, he says his transgressions, which means his rebellion against God. And then again in verse 1, he says sins, which means his offences, his wrongdoing. And then the second time we see the word sin there in verse number 2, it's actually a different word to the first one. So David's consciously chosen three different words to describe what it is that he's done. David is confessing what he's done, but he's boasting about what God has done. Matching up to each of David's sin words, there's another word for what God has done. God has forgiven his transgressions. God has covered his sins. God doesn't count his iniquities against him. Three different words for sin and three different ways of describing what it is that God has done in response to David's sin. David's only contribution to all of this was that he had done the wrong thing, but also that he had sincerely confessed to God. I think that's what it means in verse number two. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. He's not kidding himself that he's done nothing wrong. He's confessing to God that he's done the wrong thing. The blessed person is the one who knows that they are sinful and needs to be forgiven, who comes clean with themselves and also comes clean with God. The blessed person is the one who knows that that God will forgive that if you come to God with a sincere heart seeking forgiveness, God is willing to forgive. And they're blessed because God is willing to forgive. It always surprises me when you hear the view of God that people often have. Uh, They often see God as kind of a policeman or a judge who's sitting up there in heaven writing a list of all of the things that we've done wrong, just waiting for us to stuff up again so that he can add another one to our list. But that's not what we see in the Bible. I mean, the overwhelming story of the Bible is a God who is incredibly willing to forgive the things that we've done. And in fact, the whole story of the Bible culminates with Jesus coming so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be made right with God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't talk about judgment. It clearly does. But it talks way more about forgiveness than it does about judgment. God's willingness, God's desire to forgive us for the things that we've done. And like this psalm says, if people are willing to sincerely come to God, he's longing to show them forgiveness. If you're honest with yourself in coming to God, God is willing to forgive. So after telling us that he's had a great weight lifted off his shoulders, he steps back into the time when he was still living with his guilt, his unconfessed sin. So have a look at verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When he kept silent, when he tried to ignore his guilt, tried to put it in the back of his mind, it actually had a physical impact on him. His bones wasted away. He felt like he had a heavy hand on him. I found this article on the internet and it indicates two things. Firstly, that I'm spending way too much time on the internet, but also that there is actually a correlation between feeling heavy and guilt. They'd done a study at Princeton University which indicated that people who feel guilty actually feel heavier and feel as though they're lacking in energy. So the idea of having your guilt lifted or the guilt weighing you down, well, there seems to be some evidence to say that that actually is the case. In fact, the opening verses kind of say the same thing in the Pew Bibles that we've got. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. That word forgiven there is literally lifted. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are lifted. David's saying in verses 3 and 4 that he felt weighed down by his guilt and by his sin. And it seems to have been going on for quite some time because he talks about this being all day and night. But the turning point comes in verse number 5. David says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Those same three words are used here again, sin, iniquity and transgressions. And David acknowledges his sin. He doesn't trivialise it. He doesn't try to ignore it. He knows that he's done the wrong thing and he confesses what it is that he's done. In fact, there's a little twist there in verse number five. David says that he didn't try to cover up his iniquities because, as he said in verse number one, it's only God who can cover them. And ultimately, David knows there is only one place he can turn to deal with his guilt, and that is to turn to God. There's been a bit of a trend in recent years to think that guilt is a bad thing and we should avoid having any guilt in our life, that we should try to break free from it and try and live a a guilt-free life. There are dozens of self-help books that you can go and find in bookstores that will tell you that guilt is bad and how you can actually relieve yourself of any guilt that you may have in your life and live that guilt-free life. But I think the pendulum is starting to swing back. Psychologists are recognising that guilt can actually be a good thing, that it's healthy to have a conscience. It's healthy to know that you've done the wrong thing, to acknowledge your guilt. That can actually help modify your behaviour. And the people who don't normally feel anything or don't feel guilty for any of the things that they do, we actually have a name for those people. We, We call them a psychopath. They reckon that Ted Bundy, probably one of the biggest mass murderers in history, felt absolutely no guilt for any of the things that he did. 
We're human beings are wired as social beings. We're wired for relationship. So the reason that we feel guilt is that we have wronged others. We have damaged relationships. Guilt can be a helpful thing. And we're also wired for relationship with God. So part of the reason that we feel guilt is that we know that we've wronged God. There are plenty of people in our world who are living with guilt and and are not sure where to turn. People who've wronged others, or but people who feel that they have no way of making things right again. They're living with guilt and they don't know who to confess to. Guilty about how they treated their parents or, or relatives, relatives who are no longer alive for them to be able to confess to. Guilt about things that they've done that just can't be undone. That there's no way of fixing those things. Guilt about cheating in a spelling test when they were in the fourth grade. So here's David's advice if you want to deal with your guilt. Verse number six. Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. David's advice, pray. Turn to God while you can. Turn to God before there's a final judgment that takes place. David seems to be referring to Noah and the flood there when he talks about the rising waters. The flood was God's great act of judgment back in the beginning chapters of Genesis. And the point that David is making is that God's judgment will come again on the world that we live in. But until then, God's forgiveness is there for anyone who is willing to come to him. That's pretty much what Peter says in his letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Every now and then in Australia, we have uh, what they call an amnesty for a variety of different things. People might remember the Howard government gave an amnesty for illegal owners of guns. Uh, they, were, they were given permission to take their gun down to their local police station, hand it over, no questions asked. Uh, sometimes, the, sometimes it's for people who are refugees in our country or overstayed their visa and the government will have an amnesty. You'll, all you need to do is report to the immigration department and it will all be sorted. There will be no fines, there won't be any penalties for you. Well, David is saying in this psalm that there's an amnesty. Verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found, while the amnesty is still on. Isaiah says the same thing in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. 
God's declared that there is an amnesty. And it's extraordinary, isn't it, that God is willing to forgive anyone for anything that they've done. All you need to do is be sincere, to know that you need forgiveness and then to ask God for that forgiveness. But like all amnesties, there will be a time when it comes to an end. So what's the take-home message from this psalm? Well, in a lot of ways, the psalm is about guilt and forgiveness. But even though the word isn't used in the psalm, this is an incredible psalm about God's grace. The psalm gets quoted in Romans chapter 4, where Paul uses it to say this. Now, the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God and who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Paul's saying that those people who think that they can work off their sin, deal with their guilt themselves by just trying to do a few good things here and there and try and balance the scales. Well, David says... And Paul says, you're kidding yourself. Doesn't work like that. Never did, never will. No one is ever going to be able to earn forgiveness. Nobody's ever going to be able to work off their guilt. The only people who will be declared righteous, the only people who will be justified in God's sight are those who trust God, those to accept the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. Forgiveness may be free, but it's not cheap. Forgiveness that God offers us came with a price that was paid by Jesus in his death on the cross. So that's a big part of the take-home message. It's really easy to forget grace in our Christian lives, to start living as though the Christian life is some kind of a repayment scheme. We can act as though God wants to be paid back for the forgiveness that he's given us. But that's not what God wants from us. God has forgiven us so that we can be who he created us to be. God has forgiven us so that we can live faithfully in a relationship with him. That's what God says in this psalm. If you have a look at the psalm again, verses 8 and uh, and 10 are not David speaking anymore, but God's voice. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him.
God wants us to live in light of his unfailing love. He wants us to thrive in a relationship with him. He wants us to tell others where forgiveness is found. He wants us to help others to feel that weight lifted off their shoulders.